topic of faces and places around Holy Week or around the cross. And tonight we're going to um, take a picture of the cross and the two men that are on each side. There was a, um, and I'm going to date myself now, but I'm going to ask that uh, those of you that are at least as old as I am maybe come up with this, uh, this saying that was from a camera company uh, probably in the 60s, and it was Kodak, and they simply said, a picture is worth what? See, I'm not as old as some of you think I am. A picture is worth a thousand words. We're going to take a look at the picture of these people. And when we think about uh, that saying, a picture is worth a thousand words, there was a state that almost immediately jumped on that and thought, you know what, we can say the exact opposite is just as true and promote our state. And so um, maybe I won't tell you what the uh, state was until... um, let me see if some of you might know it. They said a thousand words. Let's see. A, a picture is worth a thousand words. It was the exact opposite. Let me get back to it here. Uh, yeah. A picture is worth a thousand words, and a thousand words are the same as... No, that's not right. One word is worth a thousand pictures. I didn't have it written down. I thought I did, but what was that state? Does anyone remember? No, it was Hawaii. And they put the word Hawaii and then began showing all of these beautiful pictures, trying to entice people to come to Hawaii. Well, tonight we're going to take a look at, uh, at a picture of the scene around the cross. And as we do, we're going to notice the three people that are there, and we're going to notice that the whole thing is really a picture of humanity, but then we're also going to notice that there is the picture of the unsaved, and on the other side of the cross, there's the picture of the saved. So let's, uh, let's take a look at that portion of Scripture from Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. It's just a paragraph or so long. And it simply says this, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Lord Jesus, as we think about, uh, as we think about these two men that were hung on the crosses on either side of you, I pray that you might help us not only to see the pictures that go on there, but to ask ourselves the question, are we in any of those pictures? And Jesus, today, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Give me a 
a usable spiritual gift to proclaim your word with all of the truth, the excitement, and the spiritual unction that it deserves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, let's take a look at these pictures. First of all, we're going to, to get a portrait that shows us really all of humanity as we look at uh, oh, what's going on there with all three of the, the ones that are hanging there on the cross. And, and as we look at that, we, we, we notice both of, the, uh, both of the criminals there hanging on the cross on either side of Jesus. And I honestly believe that this is a picture of humanity or of mankind, they are hanging there suffering for their crimes. And really, there are two aspects to this. First of all, legally, they were both guilty. We don't know exactly what they had done uh, to be crucified. It, uh, some um, of the writers say that they were criminals. Some say that they were robbers. Um, and we're not necessarily sure, but we do know this. They had been judged. They had been found guilty. And now they were being crucified and punished. They even admitted that they were guilty. And speaking about that fact, uh, the one criminal simply said, and, and we read it there in verse 41, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. And so we notice that they were declared guilty on the one hand, but we also notice even in this text part here today that not only were they declared guilty, but they were guilty by their actions even as they were there on the cross. We note that both of them were guilty in the fact that they both Mock Jesus. Uh, Matthew uh, brings that up, and Mark brings it up also in chapter 15, where we, where we read. It says, Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Not only were they guilty of the crimes that they had been tried for, but they were, they were guilty of mocking God in the person of Jesus Christ. You know seems like they had quite a relationship with God, doesn't it? You know, as we take a look at the picture of these criminals, it really is a picture of humanity. And again, the uh, picture of the two men hanging on the cross, they were both guilty in that they were legally or judged guilty, but also in their actions. But you know, as we think about it, we are all pretty much the same. Legally, we are all guilty before God. The scriptures tell us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then there's that portion of scripture out of Acts, or Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And we've used it several times since I've been back here during the six months. It simply says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this was death came to all men because all sin. And we talked about how it, the tenses, tense of that verb really points us back, not to, not to what's going on right now, but to one point in time when everyone was declared guilty. All sinned in Adam's sin. There was one point in time 
when everyone sinned and that sinful nature was passed on and we are all guilty because of that. You know, I've thought about this a little bit here this week and there are an awful lot of people that probably say, have you noticed that people say, well, I identify today as, and maybe they state their gender, and it might be what God has uh, made them as, and it might not be. And sometimes it's counter to what God has made them as. Sometimes people do the same with their sin. We say, well, God has declared that I am guilty because of my nature, but I identify as, well, I really, I'm really not that guilty because of what Adam and Eve did. They identify as not being guilty. But God tells us we are condemned because of Adam's sin. And oftentimes we can get the cart before the horse. We, we sin because we are sinful, not the other way around. We are sinners, but the reason is because we have a sinful nature. Not only are we guilty because we have been declared guilty, but we are also guilty before God by our actions. Yes, these two criminals are a picture, or maybe it's even better said as a, a, a portrait of mankind or humankind guilty before God, both legally as being judged that way and by their actions. But now we find the difference how we react to the fact that we are guilty. And we have two examples in the picture that we're looking at. First of all, we notice the picture of the unsaved, a, a portrait of the first criminal, and we looked at his characteristics. First of all, he was not ready or willing to accept his guilt. He would rather find wrong and Others, even to the point of condemning the innocent, as we see here in Jesus, than admitting his own guilt. What do we see here in this picture? He was hurling insults at Jesus. He was found guilty, but rather than considering his own sin, he looked at others. And what a mirror that is of, yes, even pointing back to the very first sin. Adam and Eve were told they uh, couldn't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and yet they did. And what did they do when God came in the cool of the evening and began to talk to them? First of all, God talked to, to Adam, and he said, Oh, yeah, it was my wife. She, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. And he deflected the guilt onto his wife. But then God spoke to Eve, and she did pretty much the same thing, didn't she? She deflected the guilt onto Satan and uh, simply said, He deceived me. And how many times are we just like this first criminal? When somebody points out something in our life rather than accepting maybe even the sin that they're pointing out, we point to others. There's a, a saying, when we get our hand caught in the cookie jar, we always say, oh, look over there. 
And isn't that true so many times with all of us? Sometimes we point to others. Sometimes we not only point to others, but we begin to enumerate on all of our good points or all of the reasons why we shouldn't be considered guilty. Or sometimes we even change the subject. Anything but look at our condition. This man didn't want to admit his sinfulness. And it's a characteristic of an unbeliever. It's a characteristic of our old nature. Yes, here is a picture, a snapshot of the unsaved, the haughtiness of this man who would not admit his sin, a man who would not humble his proud spirit. His thoughts were... I believe his thoughts were only on this earthly life. And, you know, as we think about what he said to Jesus, he said, come down from the cross. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. This man wanted Jesus to be the Christ desperately, but only so that he could save him from dying on the cross as well. He wanted Jesus to be the Christ so that he could escape the cross and death, so that he could go on living in his wicked life and cheat justice. In this man we see no real faith, no shadow of repentance, and no salvation. Here we see a picture of the unsaved. A man who was guilty but wasn't willing to admit to the fact and receive help. We turn our view to another picture, another snapshot in this portrait that we've been looking at. And this is a picture of the saved. A portrait of the second criminal. And you know, as we think about it, this man was just as guilty as the first. He had been judged. He was hanging there for his, his actions that uh, were already being judged. He was also guilty of the things that he did while hanging there on the cross. He was guilty of the insults that said that they both insulted Jesus and railed against him as they were hanging there. He also had a sinful nature. But what's the difference? He quit resisting the work of God. And we see the characteristics of the Holy Spirit to begin beginning to work in his life. He saw his guilt. And he simply said, we are being punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. You know, not only does this show me that he was recognizing his guilt, but is this not a confession of his sin? We are getting what our deeds deserve. He was confessing the fact that he deserved what was going on. You know, as we think about that today, in our lives and apply it to our lives, how important it is for us to, as we look at our lives be willing to say we agree with what God says about our sins instead of trying to point in every direction but simply agree with what God says.
He saw his guilt and admitted it. The person who is truly repentant of their sins acknowledges the justice of God in the punishment of their sins. You see, God is the creator of the universe. God is the one that can make the rules. God is the one who is totally right and true and just. This man also saw Christ for who he was. When we look at what his statement says, he saw Jesus as righteous. This man has done nothing wrong, he said in verse 41. But not only that, he saw, I believe, Jesus being the eternal king. In verse 42, Lord, remember me when thou comes into your kingdom. Isn't it kind of strange that you speak to somebody that's dying on the cross next to you and say, when you come into your kingdom? I mean, was he going to be setting up a kingdom there? No. He realized that Jesus really was the king of the universe. He had come to believe Jesus' words and claims. The saved person today also sees Jesus for who he is. That he is righteous, that he has done no wrong, that his promises are true. His promises of kingship and Lord and God and Savior. I honestly believe, too, that this man had faith. When he asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom, it showed faith. It went against his former insults. It went against the crowd and all they were saying. It even went against what the other thief was saying. And it showed that he was trusting Jesus. Here is a picture, a picture of a saved man. He was guilty without a doubt, but he was also willing just to simply admit it. He saw his need, he saw Jesus for who he was, and all of these things are evidences of God working in his life. And what was the result? He simply heard those words, today you will be with me in paradise. You know, I've really thought about that saying a lot for the last couple of weeks. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is going to be where you have question and answer time. If you were going to have paradise here on earth, what would it mean to you? What what things would you find that would be important? No pain. Okay. And we see that that's promised in heaven, right? No pain. Anybody else dare to? No bills. Is that what I, did I hear right? No bills? Okay, no bills. Jesus takes care of everything, right? You know, you don't have to pay for health insurance or taxes or any of that, right? Anything else? No tears, no more crying. Anything else? No death. 
paradise here on earth? You know, I've thought about one thing. I'm going to, to kind of mention it here. If I was thinking about paradise here on earth, there is one thing that would probably dampen the paradise. And some of you probably can relate to this better than I can. But what about, what about your mate? Gaten, what if Lindsay was not there? Would it be paradise here on earth? Probably not, right? No. And I think about Karen, and, you know, Karen, uh, she knows all of my faults, probably a lot of my sins, and, and yet she shields, every, she shields me from you guys knowing how crazy I really am, right? No, she, is, she has not told you everything, Joel. I can guarantee that. And you know, isn't it going to be that way in heaven? We could have all of these things that we listed, but if Jesus wasn't there, would it really be paradise? Here is Jesus, the one who loved us so much that he knew all of our sins. And he knew that they would cost us so much that we could never make it into heaven. And instead of just shielding everybody from knowing about our sins, what did he do? He knew that he would have to come and live a righteous life, and that's exactly what he did. And then he died a horrible death so that we might be able to go to heaven. And you know, heaven is listed as having all kinds of wonderful things. We talked about no more crying or mourning or death or pain or bills. And I've even looked at what, how is heaven described. And the foundations of the city are, are jewels. And it's talked about being a city of gold where even the streets are made of gold. It's talked about the fact that you know, it will be a fruitful place. But it's most importantly the place where our dearest friend will be there with us. And what did Jesus say to this man? Did he say, oh, today you'll be in paradise? What did he say? Today you will be with me in paradise your greatest friend. The snapshots, the photos, the pictures of humanity. And hear the words of Jesus, you will be with me in paradise. Lord Jesus, today as we think about all of that, would you give us joy, great joy in knowing that we can be with you in paradise. Not just for a day, not just for a few years, but forever the one who really loves us. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.